Alright, we are in Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. And we had just read at the end of Romans chapter 10, we had read where Paul said, Paul wrote, But for Israel, he says, All the day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. All day long. And so you might ask, well, is has God now cast off His people? Has God taken the church and used that to to uh, uh, to supplant now Israel? Has God taken this nation of Israel and is He supplanting it with the church? So Paul asks this question in Romans chapter 11, and we'll read a little bit about that. Romans chapter 11, verse 1. I say then, as God has not rejected his people, has he? May it never be. For I too am an Israelite, descendant of Abraham of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? Uh, I think, Cody, you need to, to mute somebody there. Uh, or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah, how he pleads with God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have torn down your altars, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life. But what is the divine response to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. In the same way then, there has also come to be at the present time a remnant according to God's gracious choice. Okay, so in verse 11, he asks the, 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 the question, he says, I say then, God has not rejected his people, has he? And so then he answers this question with the strongest with the strongest Greek negation that can be used, may it never be. Perish the thought, no way. There is no way he's rejected his people. So, what's interesting about this is that you will ask some Christian groups, has God rejected Israel? And they will say yes. When it says right here, no, no way, absolutely not. And you ask them, has God rejected Israel? And they say yes. <laughs> and it says right here, so Paul says, has God rejected his people? Has not rejected his people, has he? He says, may it never be. And he says, look at me, I'm an example. He says, for I too am an Israelite. And you may say, okay, well you're an Israelite because you came into Israel sort of like uh, um, when, 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 uh, um, when, when Rahab came in and she accepted the ways of Israel and she came in to be a part of it. And Paul says, no, 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 no. I'm an Israelite. I am descendant of Abraham. <clears throat> I'm not a Gentile that has come into the kingdom. I'm actually descended from Abraham. And I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. I know my, even my, right down to my tribal identity. And if you think that in the first century they didn't have their tribal identity, you're wrong. I mean, there are many references where, where, where we're given tribal identities of people in the New Testament. Jesus was of the tribe of Judah. Anna, and you say, well, well, of the, the ten northern tribes, those were all lost. No, the information was not lost. It says, for example, in Anna, in Luke chapter 2, that she was of the tribe of Asher. And, and uh, uh, so certainly in the first century, they still had their tribal identities. And he says, look, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. So you're talking about a, an Israelite descendant, descendant of Abraham. God has not rejected me. I'm case one. Look at me. God has not rejected his people. 
And and uh, um, so in verse 2, he stresses it again. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And you may remember this this same word, foreknew, was used back in, in, in chapter 8. When it says in, in, in 8 verse 29, chapter 8 verse 29, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son. So this foreknowledge, he's talking about those who were set aside, those who were predestined to, for, to, to follow a son. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. He's talking about this remnant. He's not for, rejected them. Or do you not know what the scripture says in the passage about Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. And so you see that, that what he does here is, is uh, um, he quotes from a passage about Elijah. So let me tell you about what happens in, in, uh, in, in 1 Kings chapter 19. This is where Elijah calls down fire and it kills all the prophets of Baal. And it is spectacular, just spectacular. You, 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 t- you talk about fire coming down from heaven. It came down from heaven and it consumed the offering and then all the priests of Baal were killed and it was an amazing time. This was on Mount Carmel, part way up the mountain, halfway up the mountain on Mount Carmel. You can go to Mount Carmel today. You can stand on that exact spot. There's a little chapel there. Uh, and you can be right on that on, on top of Mount Carmel, and you can see the Kishon River where they got the water to cover the 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 the, the offering that was going to be offered up with, with water, and then and still God's fire came down and lit it. And then then uh, uh, so Ahab goes back and he tells Jezebel what happened, how all the priests of Baal have been killed, and she says to Elijah, "Look, far be it from me if 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 the same thing doesn't happen to me." The same thing will happen to me if I don't kill you by this time tomorrow. So Elijah, the great prophet, gets really scared and he runs. He runs, it says he leaves Mount Carmel. And let me show you where he goes. Let me share my screen with you here and uh, show you where he goes. So this is this is the, the Sinai Peninsula. Let me get my laser pointer here. This is the Sinai Peninsula. This is Egypt over over on this side. This is Israel over here, and uh, um, here's Jordan on this side. This is this is the 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 Gaza Strip, and and so then you have this other Palestinian territory. So obviously, this is a map of today with the lines drawn today. But what he, where he's going to go? He's on Mount Carmel, which is right on this little this this little notch here. So he's up on Mount Carmel. He is going to flee down to Beersheba, which is right about here. And then God's going to tell him to go down to Mount Horeb, down here. All right, so now you kind of have a perspective of where we are. There's the Mediterranean Sea in the top left. So, on this next slide, what you can see here, what you can see here on this next slide, he is right here. This says Mount Carmel underneath here. He's going to go from Mount Carmel, and it says he leaves running. But he can't run the whole way, because it's 113 miles down to Beersheba. Now, I've estimated that it's going to take him 17 days. And you say, how can you estimate that? Well, I'm estimating 6.5 miles per day. And you say, how can you estimate that? Because later on in 1 Kings chapter 19, it says God sends him now from Beersheba down to Mount Horeb, 
which is down by St. Catherine, believed to be by where St. Catherine is now in current-day Egypt in the Sinai Peninsula. So he's going to leave Beersheba, sometimes it's called Beersheba, sometimes Beersheba is translated. So he first goes from way up here, he comes down, that's 113 miles. Then God's going to send him 260 miles, this is as the crow flies, uh, down to, to uh, uh, Mount Horeb. This is the mountain on which which Moses received the, the law. So he's going to go down to here. And it says, and he traveled 40 days and 40 nights to get down to, to, uh, um, to Mount Horeb. So if you have 260 miles at 40 days, that comes out to 6.5 miles per day he's going. That's why I say he probably went about 6.5 miles per day here. That's why I got that number, which is about right, because he's not walking on a nice hardened road, sidewalk. He's walking on soft earth, so it takes a little, it's a lot more work to walk. So he's traveled 17 days down here. He flees into this area that is now the area of Judah. So he leaves the northern kingdom where, where, where Jezebel is in charge, and he comes into the southern kingdom. This had been the land of Simeon, but it was subsumed by Judah. And it was subsumed by Judah because of the promise that was made to Jacob, the, promise, the, 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 the prophecy that Jacob said to Levi and Simeon, you're not going to have any land. And Levi didn't have any land. He, they just had cities, and Simeon's land was subsumed by Judah. And so he comes to the Beersheba, and then God says, I want you to take another walk. I want you to walk another 260 miles down here, and then I'm going to speak to you. And I just show you this, so you see how... And then God's going to say, after he speaks to him, he says, I want you to go back up to Damascus and, and uh, uh, find Elisha. So he sends him all the way back. He was within 100 miles of Damascus when he was all the way up there. He came all the way down and God sent. So you figure he's got to go. He's returning. This return is is about 360 miles. He's going all the way back to Damascus, back up. And so this is a lot of walking. And it just comes to us in a verse. I mean, just like that. It comes to us in a verse. So this is what's going on in the guy's life. And so he says, they have, ki- they have killed your prophets. This is back in Romans chapter 11, verse 3. They have killed your prophets. They have torn down your altars. And I alone am left. And they are seeking my life. So this guy got really scared. He runs. And, he's, and, and then God meets him down at Mount Horeb. He says, what are you doing here? And he says, you, you know, Israel's just a mess. The whole land is a mess. It says, they've killed your prophets. I don't know what's going on in this country, but it's not as bad as it was there. I don't see them pulling out pastors and killing them yet. At least not where we live right now today. It says, they have torn down your altars. I don't see them tearing down churches. And I alone am left, and they're seeking my life. So it was really a mess in the northern kingdom of Israel in that day. And... It says in verse 4, But what was the divine response to him? I've kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. He says, I've kept 7,000 people. Elijah didn't know that. Elijah thought he was all alone. Elijah was really depressed. He went down into Beersheba and it just said, you know, he just wanted to die. He just said, Lord, just take my life. I mean, have you ever had, ever felt depressed? It just, you know, I could just die. It doesn't matter. He said, I'm no better than my father's. Just take my life. I want to die. And you know what he did? He went to sleep. Elijah went to sleep. You can read about that in First Kings chapter 19. You know what people do when they're really depressed? What do you do? You just go to sleep. <laughs> just, let me just, 
you know, and go to sleep. It says that he slept and finally an angel came and woke him up and, and, uh, uh, said, you know, you gotta eat. You gotta eat here. And so the angel had prepared for him a meal. So he ate the meal and then you know what he did? He went back to sleep. What do you do when you're really depressed? You just eat and you just go back to sleep. And then God said, just go for another walk. And he sends him on a walk for 260 miles down to the bottom of the, of the, 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 the Sinai Peninsula. And this is one of the things you got to do. You just, sometimes you just got to get away. And then God meets him. God speaks to him. And God says, you still got some work to do. And he sends him 360 mile walk the other direction. Back up. So, 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 uh, you know, this is like, like, like another several months he's walking back up there. We get this like it's nothing. You know, he said, he says this and God's reply. And we go, oh, that was a simple thing. Do you see what this man went through? Do you see what the scriptures go through to bring us these little scriptures, this one sentence? What men went through to hear this from God. And this is what life is all about. When you live life, there's a, there's a lot you gotta go through to get things from God. And, and I was just thinking about this so you can see kind of how I think about these things. Uh, I, I was thinking about this in that, in that just we use these electronics. Do you know how many graduate students have poured over device building to build transistors to be able to build these devices that we use? Do you know how many, how many years it took for people to go through architecture to build the buildings that are here? All the technology that we use, just the blood and the time and the effort that goes into it. And this is what life is all about. God uses us in all these capacities. But God speaks through the scriptures. What, Mo, what, what, what Paul is saying, he says, don't you see what the scriptures say? God is going to save a remnant. And there's a remnant today. The remnant today in Israel are the Messianic Jews. That's the remnant today. That's what he's talking about. There's the, there's the Messianic Jews today. 150,000 Messianic Jews estimated. I've heard as much as 300,000, but probably 150,000 to 300,000, which is 1 to 2% of all Jews in the world. There's still a remnant. He says it's no different than it's ever been. There were 7,000 people as the remnant in that day. God has a remnant. But you see, he uses the scriptures to encourage us. He uses these Old Testament passages to encourage us. Because he believes the scriptures. Because he believes them. When we believe the scriptures, we can be encouraged by them. When we don't believe the scriptures, it's a real problem. If you look in John chapter 5 verse 45. John chapter 5 verse 45. Jesus is speaking to to these religious leaders that have come against him. He says, do not think that I will accuse you. John chapter 5 verse 45. Do not think that I will accuse you before the Father. The one who accuses you is Moses in whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me. For he wrote about me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? He said, if you believe the scriptures, you'd believe me. If you believe the writings of Moses, you would believe me. If somebody tells you Moses didn't write the Pentateuch, the first five books, they're wrong. Jesus underscored, Moses wrote them. How much more do you need? You want to discount the New Testament too? Jesus said, Moses wrote them. That's all you need. That's all you need. So if some Oxford professor says, Moses didn't write these, all you need is the testimony of Jesus. He said Moses wrote them. And he said, Moses wrote about me. He utterly believed the scriptures. We have to take hold of the scriptures and believe them. Jesus said, it's going to be Moses who accuses you because you don't believe the writings of Moses. Paul gives us these verses in First Kings about Elijah because 
based on these verses, it should just give us life. I was speaking with a young lady who gave her life to the Lord from my research group a few years ago. And, and something came up where, where she saw that we provided data to some people and they, they didn't include us on the publication, nor did they even acknowledge us. So she said, what should we do? I said, let's just forgive them. So that happens. There's a lot. Of, and, and, uh, you know, because at first she was kind of upset about this. I said, let's just let it go. It's not a big deal. Just forgive them. And then she wrote back to me, quoting from Luke chapter 6. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I said, that's exactly it. She took from the scriptures and used the scriptures to encourage herself. When you believe the Bible, when you believe the word of God, it is life to you. It is utter life. If you don't know the Lord, please, you got to come and talk to me. You you won't go away without knowing the Lord. And you say, well, how, how can you know that? How can you know that? Just because I see it all the time. Just come and talk to me. Give me one hour of your time and you'll come to know Jesus. you got to reach out to me. Just send me an email and, and I will, I'll share with you and you'll come to know the Lord. I mean, just stop fighting this thing. Just stop fighting it and just come to the Lord. Send me this email. We'll get to, we'll get to know each other and you come to the Lord because Jesus is so good. You don't know the Lord. I invite you to know him. If you know him and you don't know what I'm talking about, you got to get to know him more and that will come by the study of his word. If you're not in his word daily, you will always be weak. Go ahead. Go three days without even eating and then try to get in, in a wrestling match. I bet you lose. All right? You go three days without the Word of God, it's exactly the same thing spiritually. You are a wimp. You are an absolute wimp if you go three days without reading the Scriptures. By reading, I don't mean speed reading. I mean slow, deliberate, pensive meditation on the Word of God where you read a verse, you stop and you say, Lord, speak to me. What are you trying to say? Then read the next verse and the next verse. Say, Lord, what are you trying to say? And allow the Lord to speak to you. You spend 20 minutes a day in the Word of God and you will love it. You will learn to love it. Okay? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your Word. You are so good to us in every way. And Lord, I pray your blessing to be upon these young people that you would do a great work in their lives. Oh Lord, do a great work in their lives and draw them close to Jesus. Father, for those here who don't know you, Lord, I pray that they would contact me and that they could get saved, that they would stop fighting this thing and they would bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ and come to know you. And Father, give us a greater respect for the word of God that when we see a text, when we see a verse, to realize that it came through the blood and the lives of so many that were given. And Lord, to take hold of it and to say, this is truth. What was the divine response, Paul said? That was the divine response meaning that these are the very words of God. Thank you, Lord, for these scriptures, for the glory of Jesus, and in his name, amen.